Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Glitmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. And we find ourselves in the midst today of a discussion of various parables that Jesus presented to the Jews at the particular time. We are in Luke chapter 12, and in Luke chapter 12 we're going to look at verses 35 through 40 to begin with, and this is what it says. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch, overcome in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Both of them just very small, very short parables. The purpose of each of those parables, I believe, as well as the accompanying remarks, uh, was to teach the need for preparedness. Just simply to teach that they always needed to be ready. The parable, specifically in verses 35 through 38, is found only in Luke. And while it certainly would be unusual for the master to serve the servants, It probably refers to the peculiar and special blessings to be enjoyed by the disciples who persevere unto the Lord's coming. The point of the second parable is simple. The person who is prepared avoids loss. One must always be ready. I've always loved this section because, especially verse 37, it is a wonderful commentary on... Uh, the idea of serving God day and night in heaven, which is a, a phrase that Revelation uses to describe our being in heaven, that we will serve him day and night. And, you know, that can almost take on a, uh, a painstaking concept, if not for what we already know about God, that he himself is a servant, that he does not view greatness through the lens of, of humanity, where the greater... Uh, would be served by the lesser. This verse, verse 37, says that when he comes, he girds himself, has his servants sit down, and he comes and serves them. And so I just think that's a remarkable uh, insight into what his thought process is for for greatness, for, for power, uh, and for how much he loves us. His whole life has been dedicated to serving us. Yeah, to, to the readiness aspect of it in, in both of these parables, being ready um, for the master and, and waiting for him to come back. And um, especially, I think, with the verse 39 and 40, with the head of the house knowing that 
if he knew what hour the thief was going to come, uh, wouldn't allow his house to be broken into. I think it's a very easy one to, to see uh, and to understand is there, there's a preparation there and, and being able to uh, have things ready and perhaps other, um, just, just various aspects to protect yourself and the house from the thief. And for us, it's are we making preparations for that day that's coming spiritually? It's a day that um, no one knows when it's coming. No no man, only God the Father knows. Um but it's it's go it's coming, and we have to be prepared for that day. Well, let's go ahead and look at verses forty-one through forty-eight. That's forty-one through forty-eight. Ross, do you mind reading it? Sure. Then Peter said to him, "Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people?" And the Lord said, "Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household?" to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself, or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For every one to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. I think it's kind of interesting in Peter's question, he's questioning there in verse 41, I think it's the parameters of the application. Was what Jesus said only for the apostles, or was it broader than that, even unto all? His question brought about the third of the Lord's parables at this time, and he emphasized personal responsibility. Each follower had the responsibility to see to his own faithfulness as a steward. What was presented was the case of one who not only failed in his sewership, but actually abused it. Punishment for unfaithfulness is introduced by Jesus in contrast to blessings for faithful service that he had been discussing. Each one is individually held accountable for faithful stewardship according to their knowledge and according to their opportunity. You know, first first time I became familiar with this verse, verse 42, was used in a study with the Jehovah's Witness, who used it to explain that this is the authority given for the Watchtower Society. Who is that faithful and wise steward to give out food in due season? That's how they justified a watchtower society. I think it's clear they really blew that out of proportion and took it out of context. It's just a simple story Jesus is telling to show here is a servant who's been given a duty to give food in a due season. And when he comes, if he finds his servants fulfilling their role, doing their duty, uh, and even though the master isn't there, they carry on with their duty. Uh, these are the ones who will be blessed. These are the ones who will be given greater 
roles and, and responsibilities and privileges because they have been faithful in the few thing, that little thing that they were given to do. Yeah, I think um, there's, there's a certain arrogance that we can see when, when the lack of preparedness in these parables, especially in the one we just went over here with this um, servant saying that this master is going to take a long time. And this is something that um, people can have that attitude today. Um, there may be, uh, a lot of young people can say, I'll, be, I'll begin my walk with Christ when I'm older, um, or I'll get to it when um, at a later date. Um, regardless of the age, and it's it's an arrogant thing because we don't know if we're going to have this evening or tomorrow or years from now. But what we do have is right now. So the servant's attitude should have been, you know, my master can come at any time, so I need to be doing what's right. Um, and that's unfortunately, obviously, this is just a story, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Okay, let's go ahead and look at verses forty-nine through fifty-six. Forty-nine through fifty-six. Jacob, would you mind reading that? Yeah. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you think that I came to provide peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother-in-law, against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, Whenever you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, A shower is coming, and so it turns out. And whenever you feel a south wind blowing, you say, It will be a hot day, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites! You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but how is it that you do not know how to analyze this present time? You know, as we consider verses 49 to 56, I believe that Jesus was speaking of the fire of division and strife that came into the world with his coming. His coming excited men and stirred up their passions, causing division and discord. Look at the opposition of the Pharisees to Jesus already, the fire having already been kindled. What was there for Jesus yet to do? To suffer and die which is what I believe Jesus meant by saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with. As a man, he was distressed by the anticipation of the suffering that was awaiting him. Jesus spoke to them of the difficulty of being his disciple. He came to overcome evil with good, but that is a conflict in which the good must suffer. His warfare was not, as supposed, a struggle against Rome. It was a struggle against the evil within and around them. So long as such evil exists, so would the divisions. You know, it's, it's an intriguing thought to think of G uh, Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, actually uh, anxiously sounding the, to uh, desire this conflict, this, this division that takes place. And... Uh, some of us may have come from families or households that have, have had to suffer division and this kind of strife. And you know, no one enjoys that. Well, actually, some people seem do seem to enjoy when people are, are uh, at odds with one another. Jesus, he wants there to be unity. Why then would he anticipate or look forward to this? Other than uh, knowing that this conflict, this strife, serves the purpose of identifying those who are his. Okay? We know that division identifies those who are approved of God. And so 
when this conflict takes place, uh, it creates the, the occasion for people to demonstrate their faith and to really commit themselves to who is Jesus and, and to following him with all of their hearts. You know, they were capable of reading the signs of nature to know what kind of weather was coming. Why were they not capable of reading the signs of what was happening all around them from a spiritual perspective? Be Really, beginning with the events of John the Baptist, all that the Old Testament had pointed and spoken of in, in, in anticipation was coming to pass. And I think Jesus is essentially saying, why don't you see that? Why don't you recognize the fulfillment of these signs? Yeah, just a thought that I had. I agree with you, Greg. But but what but what you thought in verse fifty about the baptism Jesus talking about there being his death? I just can't imagine this. Um, every time to think about it, this distress, this difficulty um, of, of just leading up to it. A lot of times we, at least speaking for myself, can focus on the suffering um, leading to the crucifixion before that and during that. And absolutely deservedly so. But the there was difficulty in the midst of the his life. Um, I couldn't imagine knowing what's going to happen, knowing all of this, and um, still having to go through it. Um, when you did, le- I mean, legitimately nothing wrong, and then there was the weight of what was needed to be done by Jesus for our sakes, and how it had to be done for per- to perfection. And he, he did it all. I think it's just... Um, no words just do not do it justice all that he was able to do and did perfectly for you and me okay let's look at verses 57 through 59 which I believe kind of act as a summary the verses say yes and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right when you go with your adversary to the magistrate make every effort along the way to settle with him lest he drag you to the judge the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. As I said, I think that's kind of a summary. Uh, read the signs of the times. Accept Jesus for who he is. And obey God before it's too late. And punishment comes uh, for that was awaited. Yeah, you know, there's 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 going to be cause for conflict that is a matter of conviction, and Jesus says, "I invite that when it comes has to do with the truth and who am I." But every other situation that causes conflict should be something that we we strive as much as it depends on us to be at peace with all men. You know, when there when there's a appropriate cause for conflict, then then he says, "I don't want you to avoid it." But every other case, in view of my coming, the fact that when I'm coming, none of us should want to have any conflict with, with our brother that could have been resolved. That, that kind of thing can affect our, our judgment, whether or not we've been willing to forgive our brother or not. To the end of verse 57, there, to judge by yourselves what is right. It's important to make our faith our own, not to just take it for the the words of, of, of men or in this period maybe even the teachers um, of the of the time but to look and examine the scriptures for for ourselves um, that doesn't mean we can't get um, advice and thoughts from others on what a passage may mean 
but it's important for us to look into the scriptures ourselves and, and take what it says and apply it to our lives. It's so interesting how much Jesus can teach in very short parables, and yet the lessons to be learned from them are indeed profound. Well, let's go ahead in the Gospel according to Luke, and let's look at this discourse on repentance that we see in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Jacob, you want to read those? Yeah. Now on that very occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus responded and said to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans just because they have suffered this fate? No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or do you think that those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, and killed them were worse offenders than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Look, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, leave it alone for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. There were those present at the particular time who gave voice to a popularly held view that calamity was the result of some kind of grave sin on the part of those who were involved. They brought up the case of some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This obviously means that these Galileans were in Jerusalem at the time of this event. We don't know who they were, what occasion brought them into Jerusalem, nor do we know for certain what prompted Pilate to have them killed. We do know that Pilate brought troops up to Jerusalem at the times of the great feast. We also know that Galilee was a hotbed for the zealots, put it all together, and it is probable that this was some uprising of Galilean rebels during a feast in Jerusalem. The fact that these Galileans were killed as they offered a sacrifice in the temple probably represented a particularly cruel and bloody suppression. But such occurrences were not unusual in the days of the Roman opposition. You know, we saw this attitude uh, first, I think, with John 9, where they saw the blind man and asked the question, Who sinned, this man or his parents and Jesus said neither one but that the works of God might be manifest so here are people who who have escaped this tragedy and they're tempted to think that they are better than the others when perhaps they should be thinking that God has been gracious to them and that they have enjoyed good things in life and that in and of itself should be cause for uh, if there is any reason to repent, to bring them to repentance. Because Paul taught, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 taught, that the patience and forbearance of God leads one to repentance. So sometimes it's not just calamity and tragedy that can lead us to repentance. We need to pay attention when times are good too and recognize God has been good to us when I haven't deserved that goodness. And I, maybe that fig tree is thinking for three years, I haven't been producing anything. I've, I, I've had 
no usable function for three years, and they've let me alone. And when you start thinking, well, I guess I'm okay then, watch out for that fourth year, because that time will come. Yeah, exactly. The the great patience that we see. I mean, the, the tree got three years, and there was nothing produced out of it. Um, that's, that's a good amount of time, um, more than maybe perhaps we would give a, a literal tree for if it not producing fruit. So there's certainly the patience of our God and allowing us that our time we have now, that perhaps in, in the past we haven't been living for God at all or we've walked away from it, but he's given us this opportunity right now to come back to him or to start that relation, relationship with him for the first time. You know, it's interesting to me that in his response, Jesus did not give that popular view, which, as you said, Ross, was introduced back in John chapter 9 with the blind man, the man born blind, that view that some sort of calamity or tragedy was always there as a starting off point for punishment or for something bad happening to an individual. And he didn't give that any credence at all. And he even went ahead and introduced the 18 individuals who had been killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, saying, did this mean that they were greater sinners than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? No, it did not. Now, Siloam was a village located across the book of Kidron, southeast of Jerusalem, on the lower slope of the Mount of Olives. The Tower of Siloam means the well-known tower surrounded by the buildings of the town. Anyhow, the point that Jesus was making was that instead of speculating about the deaths of those individuals being the result of direct divine wrath and anger, that all men are sinners and all must repent or perish. The perishing that matters is eternal separation from God. You know, it really is a, a thinking that is as old as dirt, as we say, because this was the same way that Job, uh, Job's friends thought. You know, yep. uh, if you if you're suffering these things, you must have done something. And I think Job himself—that's what probably led to his exas- exasperation. Is look, you you think I don't know this? <laughs> you know, he he kind of probably subscribed to the same thing, although he was just totally confused because he didn't know what he had done. I don't su- suspect that we'll uh, rid ourselves of the thinking either. Every time you hear someone talk about, well, that was karma, a karma coming around, you're getting what you deserve, you know, that's not what Ecclesiastes teaches. You know, There's just this injustice under the sun. Good comes to those who are evil, evil to those who are good, and we'll just not figure it out by trying to figure out who has done what to deserve, what, what they're suffering. You know, the severity of his warning of God's judgment upon all who refuse to repent is joined with the reminder of how long God has been pleading with the nations and with that generation. The fig tree represents the nation. It seems to mean the individual also. The three years is part of the background. A fig tree was supposed to produce and bear fruit in three years. If it failed then... It was considered useless to wait. Some mystical interpreters suggest this means the three years of Jesus' ministry, but the Jewish nation had been unfruitful many years before, and the destruction was not until 40 years later. I think time to repent is given, but that time is limited. 
and a person must take advantage of it. That's going to do it for this particular episode. We appreciate each and every one of you who listens. We encourage you to invite your friends to listen as well. And if you have anything that you would like to ask us, just get in touch with us at www.nkcofc.com. Until next time then, thanks for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.